Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. The game is afoot. Okay, this episode is about a system created by IBM as a scientific experiment to determine whether a computer can beat a human in a game of skill and intelligence. Jonathan. What is is Watson? (laughs) That is correct. Yay! (laughs) I'd like to buy a vowel. (laughs) I would too. And I I, I can't afford a vowel. No whammies. (laughs) Big bucks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are Big you money. are you a giant computer? <laughs> Sorry, I was really reaching back yeah, for that yeah. one. I, now I would like to tell you my sob story about my life so I can win a new refrigerator. <laughs> there, that's reaching back, and it's really obscure. If you know what I'm referring to with that particular game show, let me know. Uh, sadly, I do, so yeah. I'm just going to stay out of this. Okay. I'm not eligible to win. I read the rules. Right. So we're going to talk uh, today about the Watson computer. We actually had a lot of listeners write in about this uh, because the announcement of the Watson computer came shortly 
shortly after we our episode on uh, actually I think it might have even been just before our episode about computers versus humans uh, published. So of course it looked like we had a glaring uh, omission. Yes, but uh, by in our defense, we didn't know about it yet. Yes, actually we mentioned one of uh, Watson's. Cousins, if you could call it that. Predecessors is probably a predecessor of processors. Yes. Big Blue? Uh, yeah, actually, um, Deep Blue. I'm sorry. Deep Blue. Deep Blue. Big Blue yeah. would be the company that made it. Right. Hello. But the, the, uh, the, com- <laughs> we're talking about IBM, and IBM does this thing occasionally where they issue, thing. yeah, well, it is a thing. I mean, it's, it's, because it's not just Deep Blue, it's not just Watson. They issue what they call grand challenges yes. to their engineering teams. Yes, they've had a series of these, right? And uh, some of them are are more noticeable to the public, I guess, yeah, than others. Deep Blue would definitely be one of those because that made headlines in the '90s. Deep Blue was, of course, the computer that challenged uh, Gary Kasparov, the chess grandmaster. Um, uh, to a series of games, it it uh, in the first series of games, Kasparov was uh, emerged victorious, and in mm-hmm. the second, Deep Blue won, and so that was one of those things that kind of propelled the whole idea of computers being able to uh, outwit humans, to be able to outperform uh, humans in certain tasks. Mm-hmm. But there were other tasks that humans were still much much more capable of uh, completing than computers. Mm-hmm. And um, as it turns out, Watson is a grand challenge to answer one of those, so to speak. Or maybe question one of those would be better, because you have to put it in the form of a question, right? That's that's correct. Um, I would imagine that Watson does this flawlessly. But we could talk about the differences in a human opponent and a computer opponent in a little bit. Sure. Um, I wanted to get into some of the details. Watson is not actually a single computer as I typically think about it. Um, it is made of 10 racks of IBM Power 750 servers using the Linux operating system. How many cores does it have? 2,880 processor cores. Holy free holies. And you thought your quad-core processor was the bee's knees. I also thought my uh, my computer's uh, four gigabytes of RAM were pretty much good for what I'm doing, but uh, Watson has 15 terabytes of RAM. Yeah, a terabyte is 1,024 gigabytes. That's right. Uh, also, it computes 80 at, at the rate of 80 teraflops, which is 80 trillion calculations per second. Right. And in fact, uh, I understand from reading IBM's website about Watson that it has somewhere in the neighborhood of 2 million books Essentially, I mean that's it's it's kind of hard to say how much information is in a book, but right. um, more or less two million books, and it can scan the entirety of the information on all of those hard drives in that machine in roughly two to three seconds. Right. The idea here is that they needed to create a computer. The whole the whole challenge here was to create a computer that could compete in a game of Jeopardy. Yes. And compete on a championship level. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, when we talked about the uh, computer versus person challenge in that podcast, we were discussing how you know computers do some things really, really well and some things they don't do so well. And IBM freely admitted that this was a real toughie. Yeah, because as it turns out, one of the things computers do really well, they do well with things like, like logical problems. Uh-huh. You know, because you follow a very set uh, series of steps, things that, that obey specific rules. Mm-hmm. The English language does not 
obey rules as strictly as, say, mathematical formula. Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, we, we sort of go with, uh, with things that might be tricky for computers to understand all the time because we constantly on this show do wordplay and puns. Right. Um, and computers may not necessarily understand the nuances of such things or, or slang. Or metaphors. Or metaphors. Yeah, um, there, there's a lot of elements to human speech that we naturally understand as we develop our language skills, right? Speak for yourself. I have no idea how this thing works. Okay. But most of us figure out how to determine what someone is talking about based on contextual clues and our knowledge of things like wordplay and metaphors. Right. So as we build our vocabulary, as we build our ability to create sentences, as we understand concepts that are not necessarily concrete, mm -hmm. then we are able to communicate in a more ambiguous way than a computer would necessarily be capable of on you know any normal computer that is. So what are you trying to say, Jonathan? Get to the point. Yeah, what I'm trying to say is that <laughs> I'm trying to say is that the, depending on the way you word a sentence, uh, a human might be able to determine immediately what the significance is of of the sentence, you know, what you just said, they'd be able to understand it. A computer, depending upon the wording, may not be able to interpret it properly because, you know, you didn't necessarily say, like, the ball is blue. Mm -hmm. You know, you might have used a much more poetic way of saying it that a computer just can't, you know, the computer can't equate that as being the ball is blue, but any human listener would be uh, able to understand what you were getting at and say, oh, it's a blue ball. Mm -hmm. It was just a really fancy, flowery way of saying that. Yes. Um, I watched a number of videos on the IBM site, and some yes. of them are quite amusing, actually, uh, because it, it, the early versions of Watson just didn't get it. Yeah, they weren't they weren't <laughs> the most um, accurate. And and what what's funny about it is not that the computer didn't get it, but the looks on the engineers' faces as they were going. Yeah. Okay. No. Maybe not. Not so much. We have to go back to the drawing board. Yeah. There are some great but, examples. But uh, Dr. Chris Welty was saying the point of this exercise is to do the science behind this, and and they they specifically were looking forward to the challenge of Jeopardy. And um, you know, if you if you're unfamiliar with the show, um, which some of you may be, uh, a lot of the questions, uh, of course, the 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 answers are presented first. Uh, the contestants are given the opportunity to choose one of six categories that are on the board at different values, uh, monetary values. Right. Um, and so you can expect in these categories that the the answers, uh, you are actually supposed to give the question if you are a contestant on the game, the answers can fall within a, a certain domain of knowledge. Um, for example, the f infamous potent potables category um, is about alcoholic drinks. Right. And you can expect that if you are fairly knowledgeable about different kinds of drinks that you might do well or poorly in the category. So you should either choose questions or answers from the category or not. Um, well, you know, if no one has bothered to program that information into Watson, uh, then Watson will do poorly in that category. But some of the categories on Jeopardy are written with a lot of wordsmithing involved. So you might have to supply an answer that rhymes or unscramble the letters to do uh, to form another word. Now, the unscrambling thing might come very easy to a computer, um, but the rhyming answer, you'd have to go over a lot of synonyms in your head to try to find, okay, well, I know the answer to this question, but 
it obviously isn't going to rhyme. Right. So um, Dr. Welty said, you know, this is one of the things that we were really looking forward to. We wanted we wanted a challenge. We wanted the computer to be answer, able to answer questions or question answers that a computer normally wouldn't be able to. So they were really looking forward to cracking this nut, so to speak. Yeah. Um, they, they talked about there being five major areas that they had to concentrate on in order to make Watson work. Uh, based upon the way Jeopardy works. Uh-huh. Because again, they, they designed this project with a very specific application in mind. It helped give them direction as opposed to it just being, I just want to make a computer that is able to analyze semantics and, and respond. Right. Um, that's, you know, that's a much more general approach by giving them the fact that, okay, well, our goal is to be able to create a computer that can compete and potentially beat champions in Jeopardy. Uh, it provided more focus. So with Jeopardy in mind, they said the five things they needed to concentrate on was that Jeopardy creates a broad and open domain, mm-hmm. which means that you don't just get questions about one subject. Yes, you're not going to have to know everything there is to know about alcoholic drinks, and that's the only thing you're going to be asked about. Right. There might be politics, pop culture, sports, literature, all sorts of, of uh, categories that you could potentially come up against. So. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, the computer had to be able to answer those things. Uh, it, it, there were, as Chris was saying, there was an element of complex language. Mm-hmm. Jeopardy answers can be tricky. They're not necessarily straightforward. It's kind of like uh, the New York Times crossword puzzle. Yes. If you read the clues to that crossword puzzle, they aren't necessarily straightforward. They require you to make some, you, you have to bridge some gaps in order to get to the right answer. Yes. And in um, fact, they will ask you, uh, even in clues for, for that puzzle, they will ask you for things in poetic language. And you'll have to think about things in a completely different way than you might have otherwise. Right. Uh, the next um, area that they had to focus on was high precision. So you had to be able to narrow down your choices and find out which of your potential answers would be the most uh, the mm-hmm. most accurate or the the best one to choose. Uh, Along with that was accurate confidence, which means that the computer itself has to be able to determine how likely is this answer, uh, how likely is this the right answer? Yes. Right? And and then the last one was high speed. It had to be a really, really fast computer in order to compete against people because if you know something, you just... You just spout it out, right? You, right. You know, you you buzz in, you say, uh, "Who is Marshall Brain?" You know, and then you've got the answer. Who the, is Marshall Brain? I think only one person can answer that question, That's and true. he is not in the studio today. <laughs> um, but yeah, you have to have uh, computers capable of of accessing all this information and picking it out as quickly as a human would be able to. Right. Uh, in fact, I, I saw in one of these videos that. Uh, if you had a 2.6 gigahertz core processor, mm-hmm. a, a computer running one of those, okay? Remarkably, so, I do own a computer with a 2.6 gigahertz processor. Right. So, you know, kind of a middle-of-the-road computer right now. And yeah, it's, it's not, pretty typical. And, but but 2.6 gigahertz computer. If you were to try and answer one question... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and you were going to um, go through all of Watson's... Uh, uh, data in order to find that question, the answer to that question, and compare all the answers, and come up with the best result, and then present it. Mm-hmm. It would take you two hours. Yeah, for that one computer. That doesn't surprise me much. So, that's why you have that two thousand eight hundred and eighty processor 
seven, you know, the, with all the different uh, the web servers running, uh, you have to have those core processors running uh, so that you can solve these questions in parallel. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And you probably remember us talking about parallel computing in other uh, podcasts. Mm-hmm. That's the idea that you try and solve a problem by working on parts of the problem all at the same time. In this case, Watson gets the the answer from Jeopardy and then goes through and tries to process all the potential questions that would be the correct response to that answer. Mm-hmm. And then it has to evaluate them and choose the right one and has to do this in just a couple seconds. Right. It's a pretty cool idea. The the challenges are not trivial. No. Uh, just, <laughs> <laughs> the answers are, but not the, the challenges. Um, and like you were saying, the early tests were very amusing because Watson just didn't get it. It would it would give answers that were obviously related to the question, or at least related to words that were within the question, but were not the right answer. It's kind of like if you were ever using a search engine and you put in certain terms and the results you're getting back are related to the terms you put in, but not to the subject matter you wanted Mm -hmm. because it's maybe using homonyms or it's using uh, synonyms or it's, or maybe you misspelled something or whatever, but anyway, you're getting the wrong kind of responses. Mm -hmm. Same sort of thing. Yep. And speaking of trivial, I did want to point out, too, that uh, Dr. Kelly, Dr. John E. Kelly III, he is a senior vice president of IBM and the director of IBM Research. Um, this the, the project itself, you know, yes, they are building a computer to win uh, a trivia contest. Right. So that might seem... Trivial. Yes. However, uh, the point is, you know, Dr. Kelly was saying, look, the amount of information that is being created today is rapidly uh, overcoming our ability to identify it, process it, make sense of it, and, re- and and derive knowledge from it. Yeah, in fact, I think he said 15 petabytes of data, raw data, get generated every day. Not yes. just not just from people, but from machines as well. But that's, that's an insane amount of information. Yes, yes. Now, I mean, the human mind is a remarkable thing, and if you have systems in place, you can help manage that. But at some point... <laughs> Uh, you know, even even people can't keep up with that, even yeah. with our remarkable computing machines and our skulls. So uh, the idea is to build a tool that can actually help people, that will be a tool for people to help people make sense of this vast amount of information. And, yeah. and to overcome that and get get real help, I guess, from machines and, and uh, help people understand... Uh, or navigate the world of information that is rapidly created. Um, one of the, the cooler videos on the site, I think, uh, was the one where they were explaining, look, there, there's always been this interconnected system of information going on all over the world, but we didn't really understand it nearly as well until the Internet came around and we could mm-hmm. actually see what was going on you know, in seconds rather than you know, having it take hours or days or weeks or months or even years in many, many years past. Um, and it's it's just enabled this and is accelerating the problem. So um, the, the challenge of, of creating the, the computer to play the game, well, this is basically, I guess, an exercise to see, can we really do this? Can we create uh, a reasonably intelligent computer that can help us you know, figure out 
what's going on and, and where the the answers are to our questions. Yeah, can can we create a computer that can understand natural language? Yeah. So that that you, is you, challenging. Right. It's it's not it's not that you have to tailor your language to the computer so that it understands. I mean, we we're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about boolean logic before. Yes. About how if you want to do really effective search terms, you need to understand how boolean logic works so yes. that you can cuz search engines don't understand natural language. Mm-hmm. They'll do their best to try and match your query with the right result, but they don't understand it. They aren't able to analyze the the information. Yeah. Uh, one of the concepts that it was really important with Watson is one that's going to be very important if we ever are to have a semantic web, mm-hmm. which is the idea that you could s- talk to your computer, whether you're actually speaking or typing or whatever. You're, you can communicate with your computer in a natural way, mm-hmm. and the computer will be able to understand, at least on some level. It may not be a deep level, but it'll be able to interpret what you're saying and give you the right result uh, in response. That's right. It, it, does, it depends on a system of contexts. Yes. And without those contexts, and a computer has to be able to interpret that well, um, you're, you know, it's, it's not nearly as effective as it could be. Um, right. So this is, this is definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah, I think it's pretty fascinating the way it talked about how, or the way the, the engineers talked about how the computer comes up with its answers. Mm-hmm. So what it does is it it'll, uh, it comes up with candidate answers. Uh-huh. This is part of that parallel processing where all the potential answers to a question pop up. And then it turns each of those answers into a hypothesis mm-hmm. and then examines each hypothesis to determine how likely that hypothesis is, in fact, the right answer. And if it doesn't meet a, a certain level of confidence, then, then Watson won't buzz in. So Watson's not going to buzz in on every question because occasionally there's going to be a question that's going to be worded in such a way that Watson is not really able to interpret what it what the answer is or just doesn't have the information in his database. That's another thing we should point out. Watson is completely self-contained. Yes, it is not hooked up to the Internet. So yeah. lest you think it is searching on Google, it is not. Right. So all the information that Watson has available to it is self-contained. It doesn't. It, it cannot get more information during the course of a game. Now, in between games, um, the the peop, IB, folks at IBM were, would update Watson, especially with things like pop culture references, so that pop, so that Watson would be able to interpret questions that revolved around pop culture and be able to respond to them. Um, or news items, things that had just happened in the news, they would have mm-hmm. they'd have to update Watson with that information as well. But yeah, the key was to be able to let Watson break down a sentence and really understand what the sentence was saying, not just you know this this must be the object and this is the the subject and this is the verb, mm-hmm. but to really understand what it was saying because uh, context, as you were pointing out, is so important. Uh, one of the elements that they talked about was temporal reasoning. Ah, temporal reasoning, meaning that uh, there are different ways of saying the same thing. Yes. For instance, I could say uh, that um, I graduated 20 years ago. Yes. Or I could say I graduated in 1991 or I could say the 20th high school reunion is coming up for me. 
All of those things essentially give you the same information. By the way, I did not graduate in 1991. Um, but all that, all that information, all, all those, those phrases give you the same information that, uh, in 1991, I graduated high school. Um, but it's different ways of saying it. And a computer does not necessarily know that each of those different sentences means the same thing. So they had to find a way for Watson to learn that, to learn that there are many different ways of conveying the same information using totally different sentences. Mm-hmm. And you'll actually be able to see that. On on February 14th, if you tune in to watch the show, well, that's, Valentine's when Day. that's when it's scheduled to air here in the United States. Um, and we, you, we, know that, we know that it performed pretty well already, at least... Uh, I was going to get into that. Okay. Sorry. No, I just figured after after we you know we could talk about the actual show that's coming up. And sure, I, sure. I think actually the show itself, uh, this particular episode is going to be interesting. But we'll. Uh, I was going to mention that in a minute. Sorry. Okay. Uh, no. Uh, basically, uh, one of the things that I think is really kind of cool, mm-hmm. you're not going to be just sitting there watching a box and two human opponents. Right. They actually made they actually made uh, an interface for people to watch, uh, which I think was probably key for Jeopardy. Yeah. Because I imagine they would actually want to see. It's like, well, how do we know what it's doing? Um, it could be brewing coffee for all we know. Right. Um, Mr. Coffee. It has an avatar. Uh, and you'll see it looks, looks kind of like a planet with little, uh, I don't know, thought wigglies. What do, what do you call those illustrated? Uh, I'd call that Doug's hair. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, if the computer is act- feeling, I put this in quotes, if you don't mind, confident, the avatar that you see is green. So it has, it, it's, feeling pretty sure that it's got an answer it can use to to buzz in. Right. However, if it doesn't have the correct answer, it will be orange. So you will be able to see what's going on, and you will also be able to see it thinking, because as the algorithms are processing information to try to find an, uh, a correct question, <laughs> it's so weird to say in this context, Yeah. Um, the avatar is going to flicker. So you will actually be able to see it in the process of trying to determine an answer for itself. Um, now, in, in 2007, they started building Watson, which, by the way, we didn't mention, I don't think, uh, uh, this is named after IBM's founder, Thomas J. Watson, not right. after the, uh, uh, Sir Arthur, Arthur Conan Doyle character. Right. He's, he's not a doctor who, who served in India. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, this, they actually started working on this problem and, uh, or project in 2007 and didn't really have a candidate until that they were ready to share with the Jeopardy producers until late 2009. Now, um, one of the videos or a couple of the videos that I saw on the, the website interviewed, uh, one of the producers of Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had his name, Harry Friedman, executive producer. Uh, and he said basically, you know, we were interested in it, but we didn't want it to come off as some kind of stunt. Right. Um, and I, I understand that. that Jeopardy has sort of a cachet as being a, yes, it's a trivia show, but these people are seriously intelligent. Right. And they have a lot of domain, you know, cross-domain knowledge. Celebrity Jeopardy accepted, of course. <laughs> we won't go there. Um, <laughs> actually, some of them are... are Trebek. Anyway. Um so, uh, but that's always entertaining too. There, there's an element <laughs> of entertainment, but they also have a certain uh, cachet. Yes, I mean, it's like, yeah, we have seriously smart people on this show. We don't, we don't want it to devolve right. and, and cheapen the show. Um, so they showed it to the producers in late 2009, and they have video of the producers watching Watson perform in a contest with some uh, IBM employees, and they seemed 
pretty impressed. Obviously, they're impressed enough to actually go forward with the uh, with the show. Right. Um, now to recruit, they recruited two of the very best uh, Jeopardy champions. Yeah. For a show, um, you probably have heard of both of them. Uh, one is Ken Jennings, who uh, won seventy four games in yes. a row. A few years ago, won $2.4 million on the show. And Brad Rutter, who is the all-time money champion, who won $3,255,102. Um, and they stand to win $1 million. Whomever takes home first place will take home $1 million. Second place is good for $300,000. And third is 200000 Now, the, the human contestants have agreed to... Uh, to donate half of that to charity, and IBM will donate all of its prize winnings to charity, no matter what place it comes in. Yeah, that's pretty phenomenal when you consider how much time and effort and money must have been put into this project. Yes. Now, as Jonathan said, the these three have already gone at it for a, a, uh, a prep round. Right. And Watson did pretty well. Yeah. Actually, it was doing really, really well in the first half of the game. Uh-huh. Yeah. It ended up winning. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, Actually, they asked Brad Rutter. I read an article uh, in in Wired magazine um, by Sam Gustin, who uh, who was writing, who, who talked to Brad Rutter and said, uh, you know, that he said, "Are you scared to be going up against this computer?" He's, or nervous? He said, "And not." And this is a quote: "Not nervous, but I will be when Watson's progeny comes back from the future to kill me." Yeah. End quote. Yeah, there's been a lot of Skynet jokes about this. Yeah. And Hal jokes as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know we. That's one of the other things that's really cool about uh, uh, Watson is that, you know, I mentioned a little bit that it kind of thinks, thinks being... Uh, in quotes. Yeah. Take it in context, folks. Um, no, that Watson looks for answers the same way we do, in that it has all this information that's been stored in its database, but it's all been stored, like, in the form of books and plays and poems and things like that, right? Yes. So it's not... Organizing all its information in tables, which is typically how you would do that in a database. Right. You know, it's it's actually searching through contextually, which to me is phenomenal. That's one of the reasons why. But it's also one of the reasons why it does so well, because it's not looking for specific patterns. It's it's looking through the actual information. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was no small feat to design this computer. No. Uh, They had several teams working at IBM. Actually, I've got I've written down the different teams here. They had. Oh, cool. um, they had an algorithms team mm-hmm. that had 15 people on it. By the way, some of these teams had this, had shared members. Like there, there'd be someone who'd be right. on more than one team. So <clears throat> in total, it was around 25 people who worked on this project. Yeah. But 15 of them were uh, working on algorithms, and these were the, the ones that would identify the context created by the question and, and look for the available sources uh, for answers. Um there was a strategy team, and the strategy team actually was in charge of designing Watson's gameplay and betting strategies. Well, that's important. That's yeah. Um, yeah. Again, if you haven't watched the show, uh, you know, as you go on, you either make money when you uh, answer questions correctly, get nothing if you don't answer at all, or and, you lose uh, money. If you lose money if you don't. And at the final round, there are two rounds of regular questioning, and once that's done, there's what they call final Jeopardy, which is a uh, uh, a last question on which you are shown the category. So you have the domain from which this question is being pulled, but you don't know what the answer will be for you to come up with a question. So you have to bet based on what the other two contestants have on on their boards right. versus what you have 
earned over the course of the game. So and if if they if they both have fifteen dollars each, then and you have ten thousand, then you don't have to worry about your betting strategy. Right. But if you're neck and neck, you have to figure out. Well, do I know enough to answer this question, or question this answer? See, right. It really or, is throwing me. This or time. do I do I wager that they don't know what it is, and therefore I I keep my bets small, hoping mm-hmm. that they're going to bet big and lose enough money so that I win anyway. Right. Or am I in the lead? Do I am I in the lead enough where I can bet a smaller amount just so that in case either of them double up, they still don't overtake me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of betting strategy involved. Or you could Cliff Clavin it. And just bet the whole thing, even though you are hopelessly in the lead. I mean, there's like no way you could lose. You bet the whole thing, and then you lose. Who are seven yeah. people who have never been in my kitchen? <laughs> uh, so yeah, the strategy team, they were in charge of uh, the gameplay and betting strategies. Then you had the systems team. Um, and uh, they were the ones who helped design the way that Watson would interpret a question across thousands of different cores. Mm-hmm. You know. So then you've got uh, the speech team. So that's the team that actually worked on that's text-to-speech capability so that Watson talks to in the game. You don't just see words appear on the screen. Watson actually has a voice. Mm-hmm. He does not always pronounce everything correctly, but they worked very hard to try and uh, give him a, a pretty wide range of pronunciations because Jeopardy tends to use lots of fancy words. Yes. Um, there yeah. was an annotations team which built the taxonomy. For the search databases, mm-hmm. uh, that's interesting to all our librarians out there. Yes, uh, taxonomies are important. I mean, that's how you find information, and of course, you have to design it in such a way so that the computer can hit the most likely sources first, mm-hmm. so it can come up with the answer as quickly as possible. Uh, there were also teams in China, Tokyo, and Haifa. Uh, there was a project management team which was sort of the liaison between Jeopardy and IBM. Mm -hmm. And then there was an applications team, and that's the one that I think is really the most interesting moving forward. No matter whether Watson wins on the 14th or not, uh, the applications team, that's the group that's looking at ways to use this kind of capability beyond the Jeopardy scenario. Mm -hmm. So some of the examples I heard were included, like the the one that they spent the most time on was a uh, diagnostics, like mm-hmm. medical diagnoses. Really? Yeah. The idea being that you could input your doctors could use this when seeing patients who are giving you know interesting s- symptoms, something that maybe was contradictory, and you would use a, a computer that could could essentially reference the world's information on medical knowledge mm-hmm. and come up with the most likely of diagnoses. Which is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've also seen other potential uses. Uh, government and law were two that were mentioned as well, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting. Where, you know, you start looking for a precedent, maybe, for a law case or something along those lines. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, and- there's there's definitely uses for this beyond just uh, hitting that daily double. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. You know, I, I was just thinking about it, uh, too. I was reversing in my head the betting strategy. Because when you when you mentioned whether Watson wins or not, I started thinking, well, what if you're Brad Rutter or Ken Jennings and you're trying to devise a betting strategy and you're like, well, I know he's going to do this because I've seen him. I mean, both of these guys yeah. have played Jeopardy enough times where the other one probably knows how they're going to bet. But how do you devise a, bat, a betting strategy against a computer? Especially a computer that seems to jump all over the board. 
Did yeah. you watch any of the things where it, like, yeah. like there was one there was one video in particular where Watson got someone went, went for like one of the two hundred dollar questions, which is the the lowest level, right? Right. And uh, and Watson got it right, and then Watson went immediately for the thousand or two thousand dollars, whatever the top level question is now. On on that board, it's a thousand. Okay, so he went right for the like, uh, and the category had been untouched, so yeah. all of the all of the versions were available. Every single uh, uh, variation of uh, however much I can't even remember how they go anymore because I haven't watched in so long. The uh, the first round of Jeopardy is two hundred, four hundred, six hundred, eight hundred, and a thousand dollar questions for each category, right, right. and then it, it doubles. Four hundred. Man, I remember when it was one hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred. I know. Oh my God. Those were the days. We're old. I think there are people who remember when it was twenty-five, 25 50, fifty, yeah, 75. yeah. Um, yeah. San Francisco treat. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was I was I lost on Jeopardy by Weird Al Yankovic. I remember that too. Yeah, I'd also, I also remember when that came out. Weird Al yeah. in 3D. I think. Uh, I think this is going to be. A fun experience. Well, I'm sure it's it's been fun for the people who've been working on it, and extremely challenging. Um, I'm interested to see how it turns out and whether or not uh, IBM will be up for a rematch, depending on how it goes. Will they be able to improve it enough, and will they convince the Jeopardy producers to let them back on? But I think it's going to be fun. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah, even if it um, even if it loses, it's yes. such a phenomenal achievement to create the algorithms and the database necessary to be able to navigate natural language. I mean, that really is, I, I did not expect to see it this early. No. You know, I thought that might be a 2020 thing, not a, not a 2011 thing. It's, it's extremely difficult to do as you can, uh, the aforementioned librarians will tell you. Getting, yeah. Or getting the catalogs to process natural right. language questions. Mm-hmm. English, English majors will tell you that yes. the language is very difficult as well. And, you know, it, it, so my hat is off to to IBM and those those uh, engineers and and employees who all work together to bring this this uh, technology to life because, um, like you know, even the applications they were talking about, that's just the beginning. Yeah, you and can do a lot with it. You know, we had talked about the semantic web before. Um, this is really kind of what the semantic web is promising is is this this web experience. Uh, granted, again, Watson's not a web-based experience, but no. a web experience where it can understand what you're saying and give you the right response. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. You're looking for this. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, I mean, it's amazing. You could think in a few years you could have a computer that can understand a joke. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, it made a joke. In, what? Yeah. In, the, in one of the preliminary uh, games, supposedly it said something that caused the entire audience to laugh, and it was... That it was, I think it was Fox News that was reporting it, and they did not go into detail about what this thing was, but they said okay. that uh, it was at the end of one of the like Watson got something right and then said something that made people laugh. Okay. Now, whether or not it was a joke in the sense that the computer somehow manifested this desire to make a joke, I don't know because clearly we're not talking about something that's actually alive. <laughs> if answer is correct. And next next question has not been asked. Say Be this. snarky. Yeah. Um, it then seems to work snarky. for other people on that show. Um, yeah, just yeah. follow that logic. 
So, and I'm also looking forward to the uh, segment before the second round begins where they start asking you about your background. Right. Well, Alex, I was born four years ago. Right. Well, I don't know if you could say born. Right. And I like computing, reading, and long walks on the beach. But yeah, the (laughs) the other side of this that we haven't really touched on, and I I think this is a good place to wrap up, is it, it really shows you how remarkable human beings are. Yeah, it sure does. Because look at what has to happen in order for a machine to compete against humans. You have to have... 2,880 cores, processors. You have to have 15 terabytes of RAM. You have to have this computer that has the equivalent of 2 million books worth of information stored on it in order to compete with humans. And in order to even come close. Right. To, I mean, even if it doesn't win. So that's really kind of a, a testament to how amazing people are, not just how amazing the technology is. And I I, uh, I also think it's nice that IBM found a way to do this experiment in a way that will actually make people interested, right? And in build some interest in. It. And I'm glad that that Sony uh, Entertainment has found a way to uh, you know use this to their advantage too to to show off um, you know how cool they are. Yeah, <laughs> essentially, you know, and and uh, give it, IBM an opportunity to play. It's definitely a nice a nice. Uh, uh, event to see. I mean, the fact that it's going to promote this idea of of uh, the semantic mm-hmm. computing and, and artificial intelligence in a way that is both entertaining and and really informative. It's It was clever. It's a very clever approach. Yeah, definitely. So, kudos IBM. Yes. Kudos, Jeopardy. And uh, with that, we're going to wrap this up. If you have any suggestions for topics or you want to chime in on our discussion about Watson, you can let us know on Twitter or Facebook. Our handle there is techstuffhsw, or you can write us an email, and that address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. Boop, boop, boop. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 